fresh margs. Welcome back, listeners, to Season 1, Episode 11 of Takes of Our Lives, and we are talking today about Season 1, Episode 11 of The O.C., The Homecoming. I'm Vince Kochi, and I'm joined by Steve Wilkes. Steve, happy day before Thanksgiving. Yeah, hey, man. It's Thanksgiving Eve. Um, I'm legit pumped for tomorrow, and I really don't think we could be recording this on a better night. I agree. Uh, We don't usually talk about when in the real-life zeitgeist, we're talking about each episode, but uh, we didn't plan it this way. We just happened to have watched the Thanksgiving episode the day before Thanksgiving. Yeah, kind of bizarre that um, just the calendar lined up this way, but uh, it's super fitting. Definitely got me in the Thanksgiving mood. The, the night before Thanksgiving typically is like a more exciting and fun night than... I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled to be recording this pod with you, but uh, yeah, between the snowstorm and just like a lack of um, my out-of-town friends coming into town this year, uh, there just wasn't a ton going on uh, this Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Normally, I feel like it's kind of a party night. I I think those those days might be behind us, Steve. Damn, that, it ugh. could be. I mean, I did graduate high school 15 years ago, so... <laughs> <laughs> But the people in today's story didn't graduate for another two seasons, Steve. Uh, what happens in the homecoming? Well, um, so this, th- glad that you asked, because this, I'll just uh, say it up top. This is probably maybe not my absolute favorite episode, but it is one of my favorite episodes. Um, and so largely two separate things happen. We have um, everybody trapped together in the Cohen house celebrating Thanksgiving. Yes. Are doing their best to. And then we have Ryan and Marissa segregated, separated. Um, they went on some, I guess, a, a, a homecoming of sorts, a field trip to Chino. Uh, so we have largely the two least interesting characters uh, off doing their own thing. And then we, <laughs> we get everybody else yeah. uh, kind of in the mix, uh, like I said before, trapped in the Cohen house. So it's actually quite broad brilliant. strokes. That's kind of what happens. But. Great breakdown, Steve. Um, yeah, it's it's actually quite brilliant. They send two uninteresting characters off to do the interesting thing, and mm. then they stick all the interesting characters in this pressure cooker of mundanity, and the result is is pretty entertaining. Uh, I thought the the episode was a lot of fun, a little uneven at times, but but a good ride all the way through. Just had me laughing, had me smiling, uh, a lot of hijinks and capers. Uh, a little bit of drama, a little bit of sincerity, and um, yeah, uh, plenty to talk about because it's a, it's kind of a jam packed episode too. Totally jam packed. I mean, the, yeah, I mean, just with all those characters at the Cohen house, you know, kind of bouncing their gripes with each other off one another. Uh, there's a lot, so there's a lot of drama to discuss there. Yeah, I actually want to start there if you won't mind. Yeah, uh, this is the most ensemble cast we've had yet. Uh, er- basically, everybody who's had, up until this point, more than 15 minutes of screen time, comes together and gets a fair sh- slice of the pumpkin pie, you could say, uh, for this episode. Kind of a cool experience in that way. Yeah. Uh, in addition to that, we get our first glimpse of drunk Kirsten, um, which 
Mm. Stands of season <laughs> two will know. Foreshadowing. Yikesable. Uh, some some real. Oh, I don't know if these are tropes. They're definitely OC tropes. Um, Kirsten, or maybe they're just just plain character building. But uh, Kirsten's inability to cook and her love of alcohol both come shining through in this episode. <laughs> so um, we, uh, we learn yes. <laughs> those those things are. I guess the the lack of ability to cook has um, kind of shown its face before this episode. But, yeah, her drinking um, really kicks into high gear. Yeah. During drinking to cope. Um, they don't usually ascribe that as a healthy behavior in the world of psychology. Um, but who could blame her? It's kind of played for laughs in this episode, which is kind of weird. But... Um, I guess yeah. at this point, at this point, there's nothing to be concerned about. You know, if if uh, if someone ties one on like once in a blue moon, it is kind of something to laugh about. But when totally it becomes, true. you know, when it when it becomes a, a regular occurrence, that's when doctors need to be, you know. <laughs> but we're not <laughs> there yet. In, in the, the lore of the OC, this is completely innocent. Yeah, uh, she's surrounded by her husband's want to be lover, her fraud convicted ex-boyfriend julie cooper bane of her existence and caleb nichols her emotionally abusive father so who's never uh, (laughs) spent thanksgiving with them i guess according to her yeah um and then shows up uh awkwardly this time around uh so the two main cruxes it's kind of the kids who are carrying the load of the plot this time around like, we'll get to Chino in a second, but what happens in the Cohen house is uh, one of the, like, most talked about slash rememberable mechanisms in the show. It is Summer and Anna both at the house. Anna was Seth's Thanksgiving date. Summer showed up unannounced because various plot elements with Julie Cooper's Thanksgiving fell through. So he's going back and forth. Between his bedroom and the pool house. Yes. I have making got... out with both of them. <laughs> he sure oh, is. Oh boy. Um <laughs> there were two separate things that reminded me of Frasier, the TV show, the comedy, the Kelsey Grammer vehicle. Um Against her better episode. judgment, this is becoming a Frasier cast, and I'm welcoming it. Dude, I don't know if it's me or if it's the OC. I, I feel like I'm not <laughs> I'm not these are not stretches here. For one, okay, so one is something I've brought up before, but um, Summer does it again. She has that line at the front door when she's like, who needs tryptophan when you're on Valium about her stepmother? So <laughs> we, she, she's Summer's stepmom becoming more and more the Maris of the show. And I, I just let's just chat a little bit about what that is exactly. So for those of you who haven't seen Frasier, it's on Netflix. So for now. Um, you have so no excuse. Get on that ASAP. Uh, delightful show. But I guess we talked about this, this uh, I don't know if it was the last episode or the episode before, but where Anna drops like the very high-minded uh, films. That's a very Frasier. We discussed Frasier there as well. But anyway, so there's a character, Niles, Frasier's brother, his wife, Maris, who is mentioned frequently um, in the show, but is never shown on screen. And part of the comedy of that is that now we can like attribute like you know various levels of craziness to her and a lot of times it involves prescription medicine and or alcohol 
but like you you're never you're never putting a face to the name so you can kind of you know it's this person who you only hear about so i feel like they kind of take liberties in terms of what they're willing to you know have this person do so yes you have license to be more absurd than you could realistically depict in a character right because we don't need to consider them as like a full-fledged human being or fully you know 360 degree human being they're just kind of like this you know this stereotype of drug abuse (laughs) (laughs) well yeah because if we if we devoted any screen time to to her stepmom to summer stepmom even if it was played for laughs it would be concerning Right, right. We'd have to address the issues, but just hearing about it somehow it doesn't seem as severe. So, and that's that's true as well with Maris. Um, so we have that again, and that's not the last time that uh, Summer's stepmom will be brought up. But also, what you just what you just mentioned the having them the two people in the same location, or in this case, house, and one person going back and forth trying to keep them happy, keep each individual happy, but also keep them unaware of the other person's presence. I feel like that's a very Fraser thing. I can't think of a specific time this happens, but I just, I'm, envis- I'm envisioning this happening on Fraser. You've probably watched it more recently than me. Can you think of a time where this happens? I can think of a, a maybe 30 to 60 episodes where it occurs. Uh, <laughs> So, so good, good ideas there, Steve. I, I'm sure there's a, and if we were doing our research, we'd know the name for it. But there's a probably a classic trope. I like to call it juggling, keeping yeah. all the plates in the air. Uh, Fraser does it a lot because Kelsey Grammer's at his best when he's barely keeping everything together. A flustered uh, grammar is god tier grammar. It is. It's elite grammar. Uh, Seth, I want to talk about this because it, it's basically the whole episode sort of uses it as a fulcrum. It it rotates around this Anna and Summer, which will he choose? He's not choosing either of them. He's being an asshole by making out with both of them scene after scene. It goes on a little long for my taste. The going back and forth? Yeah. He does it like, he's he's there like three times for each. And it struck me as a really good idea. Because when I saw it, I, I remembered it. And I was like, the writer's, did us all an excellent favor by condensing this love triangle into a single episode that was fun to watch Mm -hmm. and very interesting. And so instead of what happened with Luke and Ryan and Marissa, we get this all expedited and it it feels good. It feels fun and it, it feels like it isn't being belabored. However, I thought it was just a little bit clumsy. Brody was good. But he was also, I didn't get if he was slick or conflicted. And I didn't get why each of the women were like continuing allowing him to go back to check on various yams and cauliflowers and green beans. I, it, it was all just a little bit, uh, it was all just a little bit hammy for me. It was, that's a good word. I agree with you. He, his performance was especially hammy too. When he's like pretending that the Captain Oates is like something that should, uh, you know, keep Anna's attention <laughs> in his bedroom. And like, yeah. yeah. Whatever he whatever he does to you know like keep summer in the pool house, um, yeah. And I also think that the music that they chose didn't help smooth out the hamminess of it. They have that weird like swing score every time he goes to make out with summer. It reminded me a lot of the mask. Do you remember that scene where he goes? And <laughs> no, I didn't think dances with Cameron Diaz. <laughs> yeah, that's not the reference I was expecting this episode. He's in like the zoot suit, but yeah, that for that tune that they you know what I'm talking about Absolutely. though, right? The music that they play when i think it's just when summer and uh 
Seth are making out, but it was that that also adds to like the hamminess of it. But I I think the enter it's it, the entertainment of it outweighs the like oh is is Brody like killing it in these scenes in my opinion. Yeah. Overall, I would say the bit, I would I'll call it a bit. The bit wins it's totally a bit because it's pretty fun. Um of course, it's got some troubling undertones. It's not exactly noble what Seth's doing. At the end, when they find out about it and they're both furious with him, that's catharsis, so it makes it okay that it happened because he gets punished for it. Um he gets his comeuppance. Good good Caleb laugh there when they're like, <laughs> the girls are both like, I kissed you, I kissed you. And then they cut to Caleb just like chuckling. <laughs> He's such a villain. I love I love him in yeah. this episode. He has like nine lines, but they're all deadly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll talk more about this later. I know we will because I have a question written out that I'm going to ask. So I'm going to force you to do it. Okay. Uh, but I'm interested. I'm interested in what everyone else in the world thought of it because i could see it going a couple different ways i'm into it are you talking about just the the um seth keeping the two girls separated? yeah seth juggling them both and, and getting physical with them both you know yeah i maybe it's the fraser in me that's just like you know what <laughs> <laughs> dudes dudes are gonna be dudes sometimes well yeah um, definitely not like admirable behavior and the lying is uh, also troubling. So yeah, overall, you know, the more the more I'm forced to think about it, the more issues I have with it. But um, but hey, I I want to say yeah, it also. we can we can save it for a later segment. Uh, I I was talking to my partner Sarah about this while we were watching it, and she hit me with the very like I'll, I'll say like illuminating line, and she's like, "What would you do if you were a teenage dude?" And I was like. Mm. Well, I was at one point, and I would probably do what he's doing. So, like, <laughs> I don't, I don't think it's a, it's a moral crisis that the, the, the viewer is supposed to have. It's just you know, Brody, as he says, Seth has never experienced anything like this, and he's sort of out of his depth. And so he's doing the, he's doing the thing that feels good but is bad, and we can all sort of like understand where he's coming from. What else struck you when you rewatched this episode, Steve? Okay, so. Well, let's just chat a little bit about Chino here. I think we'll, I'm sure it'll come up again later on in our episode. But um, it, th- this is something that we've kind of tiptoed around. Uh, I don't know if I'm like fully equipped to like really dive deep into it right here. But this is here's just some to answer your question. The introduction to Teresa really shines a light on the lack of diversity in the show, in my opinion. So, mm. yep. And that's not like it's remedied by introducing one, you know, latino character um but it is just like holy shit yeah like there it is we have been dealing with whites almost exclusively for 11 episodes up or i guess 10 up until this point which yeah i don't really know how i feel about it to be honest i mean i'm glad that you know it's you know what i guess the now that i'm talking about it it is striking because i feel like in the tv shows that i'm watching now in 2019 there is that there is like a conscious effort to make to tell stories, you know, from other points of view and to include, you know, other people from you know various backgrounds, um, which is good. I mean, I don't think that everything's been remedied, but obviously there's, you know, like a concerted effort for those changes that are being made right now. Um, but back then, I guess, you know, it wasn't like even a, it, I, it, I guess it didn't even cross their minds that like. Or maybe I, I hope. Hopefully, that's the case. That they, you know, they just didn't even consider it. That you know, like we're telling a story here with twenty characters and they're all white. Yeah, I think 
now's now's as good a time as any to discuss like it's important in 2019 i think to since we're all going to have grown up with media that we hold dear and that we think is good and we think is valuable and precious uh but since it is working on 15 almost 20 years ago that we would have watched it uh societal progress thankfully not in a straight line but in in a general way is marching forward and the things that were fine or considered fine by the majority of people watching uh are not today and it'll happen with a lot of media it's certainly happening with the oc and uh one of its major flaws is that it's not a diverse perspective and it doesn't attempt to it doesn't even make a token effort to look at things outside of a scope of whiteness and so if we have to be able to admit that about the show and that that's a bad thing and the show is worse off for it. Uh, but I, I mean, having mentioned it and knowing it as a flaw and, and not forgiving it as a flaw, I, you know, it, it's something that was true of, of unfortunately a good many shows of the time. And, uh, and at least, at least very, a very distant, at least, the, the Teresa character and her family are portrayed uh, pretty interestingly and pretty with, with a good, a fair amount of nuance for at least a character on the OC. So I, I'm glad they didn't make a big deal about it. I would have loved for there to be a strong cast of characters of color. It's not the case. Uh, but you're right in that finally, 11 episodes and 30 characters later, we we meet someone that is white that hasn't it's named in the show yeah i think i mean i don't really have any other thoughts on it than that um she she's good like she brings a good energy into it i like that she's like annoyed with him you know up to a certain point but isn't like doesn't holding like a super grudge towards him uh and we get the first seeds of lunch pail ryan have we even said what lunch pail ryan is uh, that we just keep referring to (laughs) oh since it'll be many seasons until we do season two of the oc i do feel like i want to talk about it really quickly listeners there is a brief plot arc in season two where ryan and Teresa are reunited and Teresa is pregnant Everyone gasp. I'm waiting for you to gasp at home. And uh, Ryan drops out of high school to get a job as a construction worker. And he ages like 30 years in one day. (laughs) (laughs) Overnight, he is like a steel worker who brings a bag lunch with a mayonnaise sandwich that Teresa made him every day. And he's just like, he slips into the role. And it's like, at this point, Hopefully this isn't a spoiler, listener. Uh, we're in a bit of a dearth for Ryan's for intrigue in Ryan's performances, and it's suddenly like a splash of ice cold water. Ryan is like a totally different character, and I love it. Is it absurd? Yes. Does it make sense? No. But I I really really like Lunch Pail Ryan, and so every bare hint of it that we get in season one, I just <laughs> cling on to, and we got a little bit of it. We got a little bit of it in this episode. Well, yeah, we get introduced to uh, um, Teresa. We also get the Chino filter back uh, when when they go to the prison yard, and it's just like mad grainy again. When he's <laughs> we do. To I want to say this time around, though. Uh, usually, like when we were in Chino before, we we're like, this is literally an abandoned house with like heroin heroin needles like sticking around. It's like 
this is a nightmare. I think they actually did a pretty tasteful Chino. The prison looks like a real prison, but not like Alcatraz for children. Uh, the the home, Teresa's family's home, is nice. It's like low income, but home and, and happy. And I think they like did a good job providing Chino a little depth in this episode. I was surprised by how tasteful their depiction was. Hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess I don't think they could for, you know, Teresa and her family They're you know, like the way they're portrayed, you know, they couldn't be like living in squalor or at least the same way that Ryan's mom and her boyfriend were. So good call by the writers of the OC for that. But I don't know. Outside of that, we'll we'll get into some um, we'll get into the takedown breakdown. I've got some more thoughts on Chino there, but. That was just kind of my big my big takeaway from the Chino scenes. You know, Trey the the scenes with Trey, it's fun to see that dude again. Maybe the wor- the single worst performer uh on the OC up to this point, at least in his opening scene, the only scene he's been in so far. I didn't really have a huge problem with him in the prison yard, but He uh, doesn't really glad try we- too hard. He he's sort of he's sort no. of phoning it in, but I maybe the 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 production team saw what he did when they told him to actually go for it and they're like Dude, just read the lines. <laughs> we can't replace you soon enough. <laughs> uh, and we won't be seeing nope, him again. That's so. the end. We will be seeing the bon character, Trish, but not the actor. Uh, we won't even mention who he is. But you mentioned it before, Steve, and I have some things about Chino. We, I've run out of nice things to say about those scenes. So let's go to the <laughs> takedown breakdown. The takedown breakdown, of course, is where we take down and break down the stuff in the episode that didn't really hit the mark, or maybe it hit it in a funny way. Both of them are applicable. Uh, let's start in Chino. I have a bone to pick. Let's hear it. The premise that Ryan had nowhere to go and nobody to turn to. Oh, interesting. That is a that is a hole. Mm-hmm. And it was pointed out, I should say, this is a take of our wives. Uh, Sarah, my my lovely girlfriend, pointed this out. Why is he not staying with Teresa's family right now? Why did the whole plot of the OC happen? It's not clear. Good, good question. Uh, you'd think your long-term girlfriend, friend of the family for the entirety of your life, who lives across the street from you, um, would take you in before your lawyer, who you met four hours ago but then again sandy is one in a million but you you make a good point (laughs) yep so didn't really know what to do with that obviously the writers wanted to go for a stronger punch here it was they weren't thinking of this episode when they started the series and so now they're doing the thing that writers often do and they're just like ah we're hand waving it it happened from reasons yeah you don't have to worry about it list or viewer i guess they would be Yep. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't even think about that, but that is a really good observation. Yeah. That he, if they're as close and it's like, he, you know, he's tight with her mom or, you know, and his, and her brother, like it's that, that would be the likely landing spot for a kid in that situation. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's an alternate universe where we're watching that show instead and it's much grittier and the film grain is always (laughs) dialed up to 11. What's the Seth? I don't know where Seth fits in in Chino. I mean, obviously it wouldn't be it wouldn't be Adam Brody, but I mean, like who who's the who's got the Seth energy in Chino? Mm, I don't know. The, I like the brother. What was his name? Arturo. Arturo. He was good. <laughs> You're just gonna ask for my stupid brother? <laughs> I love that when, when they're at the door. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Teresa was great. Breath of fresh air. She's great later when she comes back to. Um. Well, that's 
that was my big... Well, the other thing is Marissa, the getaway driver. So the whole plot, it's all unraveling. Because Ryan goes to visit his brother. That's why we're in Chino. Marissa insists on tagging along, as Marissa does. He goes to jail. Then Marissa has a really funny... It's funny unintentionally. She like insisted on coming all this way with Ryan to see his family and to see how he lived. And then like instantly when she gets there, she'll just just like, I'll I'll be over here and just goes and sits on like a prison yeah. bench. She that she eventually Ryan is asked to steal to deliver a stolen car to cover Trey's debts, and he does so, and then he gets jumped by the guys who are simply angry. And want to beat him up. <laughs> and Marissa pulls yeah, up. Yeah, I had an issue. She, she's the getaway driver. So you're saying just like the concept of Marissa, like she she's she's not, she's ill-equipped to be in that role. Like she wouldn't have made that decision. Or what's your what's your problem with her as the actual getaway I, my, driver? My problem is, is this. So I have written down, let your boyfriend of one week visit his imprisoned brother for an hour <laughs> without tagging along. And then the next thing I've written down is, let your boyfriend of one week steal a car to cover his imprisoned brother's debt in peace for one hour. Like, <laughs> so you think her tagging along real is life. so preposterous in the situation? It's like, why is she, why is she long? And then she fought, she gets sent home. He's like mad at her for lying more than once. Yeah. He he wants to send her home at the very beginning before they go to Teresa's house, and then after he finds out that she never told her mom that she was going, it's a mess. And yeah. Then she, it's a it's a big shows mess. up door open he jumps in and then she goes i followed you and he, he this is actually a good line he goes good thinking <laughs> i had a laugh i had some issues with that dude who he sold the car to i mm. was like i think anytime they do the same thing with trey in that very first scene it's like i feel like anytime they try to do like like criminal guy it just really is like hacky they blew all the budget on barton and now they're taking any (laughs) non-union guy off the street to play a criminal it's a mess it's a total mess not menacing at all you know like has just kind of like weird i don't know if it was like the line delivery or the actual words he was saying but it's just like this i'm not buying any of this he calls his goons over and two grip operators step out from off scene (laughs) interest needs to be paid Uh, he says yeah. interest like three times in three sentences. It's like okay, I get, I get it. It's interest. Yeah, it's a, it's not a great scene. Uh, I have a, I have another one. Okay, but it's not about Chino. So if you're ready to leave Chino, I am. Um, I think I, I think that was all I had for Chino. Honestly, I wish I thought there was gonna be once I saw Trey uh, show his face again. I thought there was we we're gonna be, have more to talk about with him, but honestly, there wasn't much there. No. He was he was mercifully conservative with his performance. <laughs> you know, there's just so much meat on the bone at the Cohen house. I think I think I'm ready to leave Chino. meat on the bone, but not turkey because the turkey gets burned and no. they order Chinese fo- <laughs> food eventually. Uh, I want to talk about the setup. The classic situation: two characters who were important for creating drama earlier in the season. Now they are loose ends and need to be assassinated, a.k.a. set up with each other. Uh, So we have Rachel and Jimmy getting paired off at Thanksgiving. The show, however, is very clever and not only acknowledges the mechanism by which they are integrating these two now orphaned characters, but they also meta-meta 
reference how awkward it is that they're doing it. Yeah, I, well, so tell me what you mean by that. I, you think that the show is referencing the fact that it's awkward that they're putting these two characters together? Because I think that the... I don't think the idea of those two being... I mean, well, I guess uh, let's talk a little bit more about that. Here's my thing with that. So one episode ago, Rachel makes a sexual advance towards Sandy. And within, you know, what are we to believe here? Like a couple of days of showtime, Sandy's inviting her over to Thanksgiving dinner with his family. Like, that's a little strange. I would call it I would call it wholly inappropriate. Yeah, it's not good. We, We really we really are like begging for an one episode in between these two episodes where something yeah. resolves where they ad- address it or just i actually you know because i had in my notes i actually kind of like the because f- they she does bring it up she's like you don't want to when he's grilling and she's out there and she's like admit it this is a setup like you got to be crazy to think i'm gonna go for jimmy cooper a guy's a criminal but um <laughs> there's some good dialogue he, there, he's, but, she, yes <laughs> she's like you just don't want to face what's going on between us. And he's like, there is nothing going on between us. Like they, they do make mention of the fact that, you know, she did come on to him in the previous episode. I, and I think I said this at the time and I stand by it. I actually like the fact that they're not making a big deal about that, that they're just like, yeah, like, and whether or not that's realistic, because I also just said that there's no way on earth he would have invited her over for Thanksgiving dinner, like within, you know, a span of a couple days. But yeah had a little more time elapsed i like the idea that like okay like we're moving past this advance was made yeah we're moving past it it doesn't need to like totally blow up our working relationship or our friendship i'm into that Um, i'm into that i just i really i really think we we were owed one more episode of development between those two where they had a a real conversation Mm -hmm. but instead we get it as sort of a a distant side dish to about nine other things that are going on in this episode and it's like i but i you know what i loved somerville and i loved her confronting it and then sort of like having an open mind in the end it was fun i thought her scenes were fun. spoiler she she might have cracked the tier list this week oh i'm not gonna tip my hand all the way uh though i do want to i have one nit to pick this is this was really funny Super unconvincing football watching beginning. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that. Rachel approaches Jimmy. They both need to. They've both separately talked to, you know, Rachel talks to Sandy. Jimmy talks to Kirsten. This is a setup. Whatever. I guess in Rachel's case, she's like, there's no way on earth. You know, like, what would make you think that I'd go for Jimmy Cooper? The man's a white collar criminal. I'm a lawyer. Yeah, exactly. Jimmy, on the other hand, I don't remember exactly how he doesn't seem like so put off by it, but definitely, yeah, Jimmy, you know, <laughs> sniffs it out. He got the better end of this deal. He, uh, this beautiful, hyper successful lawyer who's a friend of one of the nicest men in Newport, versus him, a literal criminal recluse <laughs> with no phone. <laughs> And I just want to mention, so they, they, Sandy and Kirsten give him the once over when he comes over. He, you know, they're like, oh, nice shirt. It's a tuck in or whatever. He's wearing like a bright blue undershirt. <laughs> did you notice? Like, I was like, what is going on? They also there? said, and then they're like, you know, we, we love talk how you about did his hair, hair or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It looks exactly the same as it's looked in every other scene. <laughs> He's got like 25 hairs. Like, what, what can he do with them? Yeah. But yeah, so she she comes over to him. They're like, "Yes, this is a setup. I had no idea." 
But, uh, you know, of course, then um, chemistry starts as they're watching the game. God, I don't even want to do it. I'm going to start laughing. But I think the line that you're thinking about, because it's definitely the one I am, is when Jimmy starts, he's like, oh, yeah, fumble or yeah, return, go, go. And she's like, no, no, kill him, kill him. I'm just not buying Somerville's undying allegiance to the Cowboys Mm -mm. there. Mm -mm. It's a swing and it's a miss. Uh, I at least, I actually thought Somerville's half of that charade was the lesser of the two offenses. Uh, the only thing that oh, really? Jimmy Cooper on screen does worse than watch basketball is watch football. I Dude, kill him. Kill him is like... <laughs> it's oversold, yes. But she at least tried to act it. Tate Donovan was just Yeah, saying. good point. He like lazily like raises his arms in the air after what we can only presume was a touchdown <laughs> for his his favorite team, the Dolphins. I guess we should talk a little bit about how Jimmy Cooper... Presumably born and raised in Southern California as a as a his two favorite teams the Knicks uh, and the Dolphins. (laughs) Obviously, Uh, do you? So I did a little bit of research. Did you know that in the Thanksgiving of two thousand three, the actual the Dolphins actually played the Cowboys and they won forty to twenty one that day. Incredible! So on Fox, OC writers are yeah. Oh, clever OC, very clever. I wonder if this aired before or after Thanksgiving. My guess is before. Well, it would, yeah. They always air the holiday episode in prior to the holiday because otherwise it's pretty lame to come back on December 16th and watch the Thanksgiving episode. Um, but yeah, that's uh, a little, yeah, a little Easter egg. Steve, once again, the research, <laughs> second to none. You, you're the lifeblood of the show. And I mean that with the utmost sincerity. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a bad scene though. Uh, what, what else? What else? Cause I had mostly, I liked the stuff at the Cohen house, so I'm running out of takedowns, but I have a few breakdowns. Yeah. I, I had badass dude when Ryan drops the car off. I had, yeah, the weird, the weird music where Summer and Seth are making That's out. No good. Um, so my, my opening line, I don't know if I'm not sure whether or not you caught what part of the episode that was, but the really lazy margarita blender shouting reveal where Seth's like Marissa's in Chino and he says it three times and finally like she turns the blender off as he's like saying it at like the loudest volume. Uh, so the entire room can hear then. And he's like, oh, that actually happens in real life. Little little mini meta moment there for you. But I just thought that was kind of dumb. I think they, we have like, a double take because I love fell that back gag. on that trope. Really? Okay. You didn't think that was a little easy? Um. So yeah, it was easy. You're right, but that he like flames how easy it was in the same line. What when he goes True. like, you are a sucker for any like meta. I am. I'm like totally on the on the hook. I'm in the bag for for Brody's <laughs> meta remarks. Um, just because I think that's like that felt that definitely was an ad lib. I'm. I would stake. I'd stake it all on the fact that that was a Brody ad. I'm I'm right there with you. I'm worshiping at the church of the meta ad lib, and uh, <laughs> and I'm a believer because I I he just he even like looks away at the ground. He like oh he almost he wa- it's like he wants to look at the camera and say it, but he he just <laughs> he just has the lightest bit of discipline. It I I thought it was really funny. I laughed out loud. It was stupid, yes, but it was kind of good. Okay, um, and then last one. Let's just let's just talk about it. He says minty again. Now, is this problematic or are we projecting? That's my question to you. 
tough to say. I want my my instinct is anything that insinuates because he it's a soft insinuation because he never really says it in a mean way or a critical way or like a hyperbolically uh emotional way but he does say it in a and he's often referring to like things like pirates and musicals yes it's disparaging it's disparaging an effeminate nature a perceived effeminacy and i i want to say that that just even though it's not too egregious i don't think in the writing, I think that's got to be problematic. Okay. What do you think? We've landed on problematic. Um, I, I do think because may, maybe all right. I'm I'm working through it now in my mind. The first time I heard him say it, I was like, oh, that's weird. That's probably wouldn't fly today. And now he that he said it like so many times, I'm starting to get conditioned to it. Where I'm just like, oh, like that's just you know. But that's probably the opposite. That's probably the be- like what shouldn't be happening here. It's interesting, like. What what would be even like a a 2019 way of saying that? Like, you know what? I have this I have this whole convo queued up for aired today, gone tomorrow. So let's oh let's do the thing you're not supposed to do in radio. Couch this for just a minute because we'll be coming right back. Uh, I do want to let's get into something positive again because there's plenty of good things to say about about Thanksgiving and I I want to talk about the O scene and I I really Ooh. really like mine. And I'm sure you've got a good one, too. Okay, listeners, the O scene, the scene that made me say O, was the shootout at the OK Corral, a.k.a. when all the adults are crowded around the counter, and they are just... Oh, that was mine, too. Oh, awesome. Okay, we could really dive into it. Perfect. They just go crazy on each other it is like that that, well put i like that uh the shootout uh metaphor you use there um but yeah i mean i don't know how how do you want to break this down do you you have something in mind i mean i have it like i don't have word for word what is said but i've got like the grenades being lobbed by whom and against whom steve i would love for you just to like just load them in the hopper and let's deal with them one by one let's hear those grenades okay so it starts with Julie on Jimmy and she is upset because he from her perspective he was responsible for Marissa's whereabouts which are um, unknown where, at the time of this argument yeah which are uh, exactly well, actually no at that point I think that she they've Seth has spilled the beans and that uh you know they know where she is but how she got there and who allowed it is the matter at hand so we've got Julie on Jimmy then we've got Caleb on Jimmy. Caleb chimes in with uh, what kind of man doesn't know, you know, where his daughter <laughs> is. Then we've got Kirsten versus Caleb. You know, she she fires back at him, kind of in defense of Jimmy. Yeah. Then Caleb retorts and, you know, she, she says something about don't you talk to don't say anything about daughters. And he's like, I, I've been a lot of things, but I've never been a bad parent. And then we get Sandy and Rachel versus Caleb. They chime in with a, you know. A destroyer of the environment type of uh, barb. Tyrannical land baron is what Somerville launches, <laughs> which I loved. Excellent line. Great Somerville. Great recall by you. Um, all right. Then Julie gets a shot in on Rachel. She's like, don't even, you know. Why are you even here? You shouldn't talk. Why are you even here? Kirsten, defending Rachel, takes down Julie and Caleb. At least that she, you know, she's our guest. And like some people. <laughs> yeah, crossbody uh, gets them both. Yeah, Julie retorts with a barb on Ryan and the Coens. You know, like all of a sudden you've got uh, standards of the type of people you bring into the house. Excellent, Julie line. Very good villain-esque. 
then you know it gets a little little blurry my, my memory is a little hazy but it ends beautifully uh jimmy or no i think julie then accuses jimmy of trying to get laid and he's like excuse me for trying to make up for lost time somerville then gets a little perturbed by that and she's like excuse me oh no and he goes uh sorry it was the heat of passion and then julie ends it all with you know don't expect that to happen (laughs) so overall just really really excellent um you know it's like a -a tete-a-tete with six people absolutely let's let's like i want to ask you steve scorecard in that royal rumble hell in a cell cage match who do you like as the as the people's champion at the end of it all? When the dust settles, six adults enter, one leaves. Who do you think got the best shots off? I think now she doesn't she doesn't have a lot of like um moral or ethical ground to stand on, but I think Julie gets gets the best shots in and she ends it with a pretty nice hammer on Jimmy. That is um, a devastating Jimmy gets the brunt of it. Slammer. Yeah. Kirsten gets in some uh some good jabs and she remains pretty unscathed. Sandy really like for all of his, you know, righteousness and, you know, his ability to, you know, sling shit. He, uh, really doesn't say much or get, you know, much thrown. No, he only him. has two um, little, so. two little lobs. He, he's overshadowed by some heavy hitters in the arena. And, uh, he, he totally. knows his place. It's really not his fight though. Cause he, you know, he's got nothing, I guess he, he's, he, he has to, or he could have, uh, you know, stuck up for Ryan there, but, um, you know, most of it is between Julie and Jimmy and then we get, you know, a smattering of others involved, but I would say Jimmy took the L personally. It's, you can't, you can't not have Jimmy in last place in this exchange because <laughs> he apologizes and then gets haymakered in the same in the same breath. First of all, he's yeah. forced to backtrack on his Somerville remark and then Julie Cooper comes flying out of nowhere and knocks his teeth out. It's brutal. Yeah, that was tough. Super tough fun scene. Him. But I also love I mean, that was an awesome scene and then it ends with and then it kind of continues once the smoke alarm goes off there, like as the smoke is like filling the room, there is like a shouting match between like four or five people. Like we're not, it's kind of like too, too frantic to actually get any like specific, you know, like lines of dialogue in. We're just like mentally like at this point, it's just really devolved and just like, you know, screaming at each other. Um, but you know, it ends, that's kind of when we get the, the whole reveal that, you know, Anna and Summer are both there. And then we get the awesome Caleb chuckle. Just Dude, that I because I was actually I see this as a one, one long scene. Yeah, that's that's included. That should be included. And I there are actually Caleb's chuckle is like god tier golden platinum elite. <laughs> but like there are some there are many good facial and under the breath happenstances during this little moment where Summer and Anna are like figuring it out. Julie Cooper, even though she doesn't get a line, she gives like the most the smirk just the smirkiest like she's like a little bit i let's break down the smirk because it's such a good (laughs) smirk it says so much and so little it's it's mostly a flame on kirsten for raising a womanizer and she like oh levels it in that general direction but it's also like the knowing smile of a woman who has a good time like I kind of that was like my favorite smirk she's ever done. I love that smirk. Interesting take. I I read it as like, oh Seth, I didn't I didn't think you had it in you. You know, like that There's was kind of what of that I too. Yeah, 
Yeah. Okay. I love yeah. that. Julie Cooper. I might have to rearrange my tier list. I I, I kind of maybe I uh, gave her the short end of the stick, but the problem is just a lot. And why I think you're right to have given her a short stick or at least an end of a stick that is relatively short is that these are that's her only scene. Like she doesn't do anything else. She's just True. in it for these two frecuses, but she's awesome in them. Uh, and then uh, Kirsten's like drunk, leaning on the fridge. I always knew you're a late bloomer to Seth. It's so, <laughs> it's so ragged. I loved it. It was so good. Uh, and then they storm. I don't know. I don't know when we're gonna get a chance to talk about this, so I just got to give it a shout. But um, there's a moment where Saint, or Kirsten's especially upset that uh, Julie and Caleb have crashed the party. She's talking to she's talking to Sandy in the kitchen, and she's like, she's like, you know, you tell him to leave. You know, she's like, you, you know, I've got a family that won't let me cook for them. You know, my, fa- you know, such and such and such. She's kind of listing all of like her her grievances throughout the day and then she's like and we're out of merlot there's a there's like a weird i don't even know i i want to know what like the comedy term for this is but i guess it's like a reveal it re- it's revealed that anna's been there the whole time and she's like witnessed this this married couple fighting and it's played for laughs but i just i love when shit like that happens in tv shows that is just that always gets me like the person the unexpected person who's been off camera and there's like you know either like a intense or really tender or like serious moment between two characters or more than two characters and then like it pans back and like more people are revealed to have been there the whole time i just love that shit yeah and then she goes and she tells <laughs> i also love this line uh she says go tell him to hit the bricks and sandy, yeah. sandy goes hit the bricks who talks like that <laughs> uh so excellent thank you for breaking that down with me steve that was a, a an o scene to remember uh, one of my favorite scenes that's ever been in the show yet, and uh, hopefully a sign of better things to come. Because I, I, the more adults all firing at each other we can get, the better. Yeah, I mean it's kind of you know there are fewer characters, but the, it's reminiscent of like the boardroom scene uh, where we get Kirsten, Caleb, Sandy, and Rachel. That was a little less fun. Lo- this is a little more fun loving. And I just think anytime that Julie and Jimmy are involved, because Julie has just so much disdain for Jimmy. And Jimmy's <laughs> kind of a punching bag at this point anyway. <laughs> yeah, he is. I want to talk about a, an oft overlooked segment of our show, Steve. It's not soundtrack, which has been painfully relegated oh, to the it's freezer tier. Dude, when's it gonna come back? I just I'm my DVD says music guide companion for the next episode, so let's keep our fingers crossed, but no promises. Okay. Um, but I want to talk about aired today, gone tomorrow. So, listener, aired today, gone tomorrow is the thought experiment of a segment where we kind of examine the time period in which the OC existed and what it would be like if it existed today instead. I have a couple questions for you, Steve. We're going to start out with an easy one. If they were watching a football game today, what two teams would be playing? Because we have the Dolphins and the Cowboys. You kind of gave us a little bit of insight into why those two teams specifically were mentioned. Uh, But like, they're also two very of the zeitgeist teams who'd be playing who'd be playing in uh 2019 oc remake starring misha Barker. okay so <laughs> she's back um okay so it's thanksgiving right we're still 
It's the Thanksgiving episode, correct? Or they're just watching any random? Oh yeah, it's the th- it's the Thanksgiving episode to, that's airing tomorrow. Okay, so I'm not sure if our listeners are aware of this, but uh, on Thanksgiving, the tradition is that the Detroit Lions play a home game and the Dallas Cowboys play a home game, and then now I don't know how long this has been going on, but there is a sun a third game on Sunday or on Thursday night as well that has no two teams that are. Or no, no, there's there's not like a tradition involved in that. It's game. a wild so it's card. Anyone two, plays two random games. So, I mean, I guess if you, I think the the cowboy, like the the lions have been bad for so long. I was listening to a podcast recently, and I found out I was shocked by this. But the lions haven't won a playoff game since 1991. Yeah, which we're going on 30 years here for that. So definitely not them. And my bears are playing the lions tomorrow at 11:30. So I will be watching that game. But I would definitely not pick that as <laughs> the zeitgeist. <laughs> uh, football game so uh, cowboys are doing well um right now uh they're not like you know i wouldn't call, i wouldn't put them in like the top three or five teams in the league but uh you know their game is going to be interesting i guess i would probably pick if you're going to pick two teams two random teams um for a football game now it's you know, if, if we're just or so are, is the question like who who are like the it teams in the NFL right now? Yeah, well, who of? would who would the because the Cowboys and the Dolphins at the time it was like even Joe idiot or Judy moron who's at home who doesn't know anything <laughs> about football can at least be like I know those teams. If you're if you're going by like who are like the most popular teams, I would say. The, I think the Cowboys are still up there. I think you could definitely make a case for the New England Patriots, although they're pretty hated uh, nationwide outside of you know the Northeast. And actually, those two teams played last weekend. Um, Ooh, so we missed I, our you chance. Could, you could say that. I would say that that'd be a good one. The Green Bay Packers weirdly have like a really, really big national following, even outside of Wisconsin. Are you aware of this? Oh, I'm, I'm acutely aware as a Wisconsin born and bred. Sure. Um, so, you, you know, you could have a Green Bay, uh, Dallas game, good, good mix of old, old fashioned or not old fashioned, but kind of like classic colors and uniforms with that as well. Mm. But if you're talking like who's the most exciting teams right now, in my opinion, I would go with definitely the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson's going to win the MVP. He is like incredible to watch. Uh, they play, they've beat their last like three or four opponents by a margin of like, I don't know. It's they're, they're, they're winning games by like 40 points. Um, the last few weeks so definitely them and then I would probably go with the Kansas City Chiefs Mahomes is still incredibly fun to watch but I don't know what are your thoughts on this you were you gave us such a dissertation that like I am I'm in awe that's what a great answer I think Baltimore would be like a classic Somerville because that puts her in DC during her college Mm. years uh kind of a classic place for someone of a law background uh, I like Somerville as a know. Cowboys fan, but yeah, I could see her being into the Redskins or the Ravens for sure. So the other thing I was going to say is that we have the the brand new shiny L.A. Rams and L.A. Chargers, um, and we're we're there True. in Orange County, and uh, they both went to Berkeley, uh, Sandy and and uh, Rachel that is, and so you know I I could see like. Oh, we finally got a team like something, something, something. I was a fan of San Diego when the Chargers when they were in San Diego. If you believe it or not, I do believe it. It was very recently, <laughs> but anyway, I'm not a show writer. I'm just saying, like, I think having one of the LA teams involved could have been a would have would have made a lot of sense. Though it turns out in the That's show they call. they're from all over the place, Dallas and 
and the Dolphins. True. Yeah, I like that. Good good call on the LA Rams uh, thing because the the Rams just played the Ravens on Monday night. So we got so yeah, maybe we'll just pick those two games: Rams, Ravens, and uh, Patriots, Cowboys. Two games that happened last weekend. A, a more <laughs> thorough answer than I'm sure our football savvy listener base was ready for. <laughs> uh, I got another one, and this so we were talking about this before. The question is, it's 2019. It's two parter. Does Minty catch on? Does Minty get canceled? Or Ooh. what is said instead of Minty? So it's a th- it's a three-parter, actually. I think based on, you know, our the beginning of this conversation, I think Minty does get canceled. I just don't I, I don't think you can really because okay, let's like let's stop tiptoeing around it. It's like a code word for gay. Am I wrong in saying that? No, I think that's that is unfortunately what you're you the the viewer are led to believe like right ryan and if i'm wrong I'm, I'm happy to you know throw my hands up but i that that is how i'm reading it every time he says it which is like like i've said now you know four or five times i say i think it gets canceled because there's really like no space for that right now you know even like memes and you know i'm not i'm not like super on twitter or anything like that but there really doesn't seem to be any patience for that kind of shit, uh, thankfully, anymore. So I think it gets axed out. Totally. I'm with you there. Minty would never fly. They'd never put it in the show. Uh, and if they did put it in the show, you, they'd be the, the young, savvy, socially conscious viewer base, which would exist in 2019, uh, would, would throw the hammer down on it. And right. Adam Brody would be forced to make a public apology. Adam Brody's character would probably be like gender fluid, wouldn't he? Or at least like yeah, well, yeah. I I wouldn't give I wouldn't give uh big TV credit enough to make their like. I guess if this is airing on Fox, yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's it is Fox after all. So probably we probably don't get like a truly diverse, interesting in that way character. Uh, but Adam Brody would definitely be like on the right side of social issues like gay bashing that's that's not meant to be like like a luke type of situation where we're identifying this character as being like the villain he's doing it to in to inflict pain on somebody right whereas when brody does it it's like kind of like a tossed off laugh about it yeah we're meant to think it's funny we're meant to we're meant to laugh with him which uh, right to let and and he's not not doing it to hurt someone by the way (laughs) <laughs> he's not but he, in his defense he's not doing it to hurt someone else you know no he's just ignorant he's an ignorant 17 year old kid um what would they be saying instead of minty though see that's a good question i'm not but that's the thing they wouldn't be identifying something like that's stereotypical that that, that would another you know in in previous generations would be stereotyping something homosexual so what would they be what they'd be getting after him on instead i think my my note on it is they would like they would make fun of him for it being like weirdly predictable that the tough guy was into school place when he was a kid Mm. like they might they might like hit him (laughs) what did you think about that by the way that ryan is like a former uh you know, participant in like a Snoopy or a, a Peanuts musical. Like, what would that even? Uh. <laughs> well, that's my next question. So maybe it dovetails. Like, it's obviously not going to be a Peanuts musical in 2019. What what character did he go as in the school play? In 2019? Yeah. I don't even know what 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 plays are these kids doing. I'm not even <laughs> well, sure. Well, I don't I think they were a... doing You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown in, in 2003. <laughs> anyway, I think that was probably off base. But I, you know, I want to I want to say like. 
what would their what their would their high school play be? I think I'm trying to think about what uh, my my high school plays were. I mean, I think I remember them doing like, oh, that's I was gonna say hair, but that's not right. <laughs> they were doing, they did like a. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm thinking of just like like really old shit. Uh, for some reason, Oklahoma right now is in in my personal zeitgeist, so that's the only thing that's like coming to my head. But I don't even know what that plays about. Like, is is Oklahoma something that they, like a school production would put on? But they wouldn't also put on anything edgy, you know, like Book of Mormon. Like, that's not gonna, you know, like no, probably be in not. Schools. Probably not. I for some reason I wanted to go like back to the classics. I wanted to do like. Our high school did a version of The Lion King because it was popular on Broadway like three years ago, mm. and he was Simba or something, or he was he was like Pumbaa. I guess, but isn't The Lion King like cool because everyone's on stilts and like the they they do like an interesting thing of like making like they're like acrobats, right? Like they're try, they're making like oh well, yeah, it's like a larger than life cast and it, it, it's grand. I don't think that chino elementary would pull it off <laughs> that's not really what i was i was portenting uh but i i do that's just where my head went or i could see him being peter pan too oh okay now we're talking that that now that you've said that i okay that that makes a little more sense so sidebar uh, as long as we're in theater corner here have you seen i know this got totally roasted on the internet but that trailer for the movie cats oh uh, lord in in heaven i did see it it I think the roasting, I went into it try, ready to defend it. That's just my contrarian nature. But yikes. Holy you Wait a minute. Was this before you saw the trailer that you were like, you know what? <laughs> like, good or bad, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the side of cats. Yes, yeah, it was. It was so it was before I saw the trailer and I heard the, the press was bad. It was scathing. And so I was like, can't, it literally can't be as bad as they're making it out to be. These people, they don't like change. They don't like something weird. So, I, I, and then I watched it. Horrible, scary, frightening, really bizarre. Like just downright bizarre. This is not. I guess this you could call this a takes of our wives segment. But my wife Sarah, uh, famously, is not interested in going to the movies. Like we go to the movies like two or th- I go pretty frequently, but she does not really care to go. Um, so you know when trailers come out. It's pretty rare that she's like, oh, like, we should go check this out. So it happened recently with Joker, um, which we enjoyed. Uh, but I was kind of surprised that she saw the trailer for that and was was all in. And then the other day, she was like, yeah, I saw the trailer for Cats. I think it looks pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding? Like, oh. is this, you know, am I getting memed here? And she's like, no, no, like, I, you know, it looks it looks interesting. And. I was like, are you aware that like the internet took that thing down like about as hard as they've taken anything down that w- was just like an innocent like cats, you know, <laughs> like uh, take on uh, the movie or the play cats. But she was unaware. Uh, but it, now I'm dying to see it. So that's all. We should all go. Um, <laughs> I that, that was made as a serious suggestion. Listeners, stay tuned for a few more episodes from now to see if we actually went. Uh, but you know, one final thing on, on, uh, on the, on the note of scariness, uh, I, I just wanted to shout out one quick line that I thought was really good from Jimmy Cooper, who didn't, who was mostly used as a punchline in this episode when Marissa goes, Caleb, isn't he creepy? And then Jimmy kind of sticks up for him for a moment. He's like, he's not creepy. He's just scary. 
I thought it was like, <laughs> that's really good. What did you think about his, like, it, it gets a little tender there at the end uh, when Somerville, you know, they're eating Chinese food and it's just finally, mercifully, it's just the two of them again. I love that there's like that great shot of them, the two of them, like they're on the couch and then after Caleb and Julie show up, then there's like another cut of like the, like they're both of them are sitting like directly in between Rachel and Jimmy and everybody's just got like a pissed off look on their face. But at the end of the episode, they're back watching TV together, eating Chinese food. And, you know, the, the Somerville offers to watch a game with him. And he's like, yeah, you know, and she's like, when you're ready, you know, like I, I was kind of surprised that he didn't just like dive into that. I loved it. I thought that was like a really I, I'm overusing the word tasteful this episode, but I thought it was like it was really nice. It was nice how they mm-hmm. like it, they made it real. Neither of them like. Somerville didn't get all bent out of shape that he wasn't ready and didn't make a big deal out of it. And Jimmy didn't like suddenly pour his heart out and say like, I'm still broken up over my family dissolving. And by the way, I might go to prison. Uh, So it was just nice. It was nice how they played it straight. And, um, you know, it's refreshing. The show does it pretty frequently, actually, which I think has given it a lot of staying power. Um, But yeah, I think aired today. That scene would be exactly as it is, and that's saying quite a lot. Yeah, I like. I actually like the entire the the, the whole way the episode ends. I mean, set, I like you know once Marissa and Ryan get back and Julie is all you know in a huff, and Caleb's like, "Hey, it's Thanksgiving," you know, like just give him a pass here. And then, uh, yeah, that well, Kirsten's passed out. Sandy's like you know <laughs> just laying on the bed enjoying whatever you know like Chinese takeout order he made. Um, and then yeah, we get Seth. Summer or Seth, Summer, Seth, Marissa, and Ryan up in the bedroom, and you know Seth's obviously devastated, but not devastated enough not to get a few, uh, you know, witty remarks in. Not too devastated to drop one last minty on us all. <laughs> Steve, I, I totally agree. Excellent way to end the episode and the ending. How wholesome and just likable and just digestible it is. Sorry to use a food pun. Uh, it really makes the episode stand out as one of my one of my lasting, enduring favorites. I know you've already mentioned it was one of yours, but is it foundation or is it filler? So typically, when we talk about this, like the foundational episodes, something like plot altering usually happens. I wouldn't say anything plot altering happened in this episode, so for that reason, you could call it filler. I but honestly, like personal favorites aside or whatever, I do think this is one of like the better. I would say this is in the top, at least for season one, top ten for sure, maybe top five episodes. And for that reason, I I'm putting it as a foundational episode. I wouldn't I wouldn't argue that anything like like I said, like nothing earth shattering happens in this episode, but it's just so good all around. I'm giving it a soft foundational. I also landed on soft foundational. I um I like to use my, like, go on instinct for making this particular call. Uh, it just feels kind of unmissable. I don't know. I th- I think the Seth, Summer, Anna triangle really precipitating has a lot to do with that. That might be the thing that is actually happening in the episode. Um, and it's the, the introduction of Teresa also, since she'll play a role later, it's sort of like a sleeper agent type thing. Like she's being implanted in the plot now to detonate later. Um, yeah. But I, I think you kind of can't miss it. I think you shouldn't miss it. Maybe is a better way to put it. I think, and also I think like 
if you're doing the, you know, if you're if you're starting season one, or I'm sorry, see, if you're starting to watch season two and you're doing a whole entire recap of season one, I think the scene where it's just kind of an iconic scene where the two girls catch Seth in the kitchen and they're like, and both of them are like Anna Summer and they both say Seth, like that is like foundational. That that just that that specific moment like sticks out in my head. So exactly, I, that'll that's. That moment will be in a lot of pre-episode precaps from here on out. Uh, let's go into the tier list, Steve. We we once again have gotten a little carried away. It's a slightly longer episode, but that's <laughs> just fine. Um, I thought it was tough. I I want to preface this tier list with just a little bit of of setup since we're getting into the the real meat and potatoes. Another food reference, sorry, uh, of the tier list, and things are starting to shape up. I said it before. Sandy was vulnerable. He didn't really do much this episode. Uh-oh. No. Uh-oh. He didn't. I, I'm, I've been putting him in my top spot almost just kind of like not even thinking twice about it, which is doesn't make for like an interesting tier list. But yeah, let's just let's just get into it. Five. Who do you have at five? No one is more surprised than me, Steve. Sandy, if you do it, I'm... No, no, no. No, no, no. Not, <laughs> not quite. He, he hasn't fallen from grace quite that hard. He was still funny this episode. Ryan. Oh, wow. Okay. When I thought Ryan would have been written off from this top five list long ago. I've said that about four times already. I thought he was pretty darn good in this episode. They do a trope. They do, a, 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 they do sort of like a ploy where Ryan is resting the funny character away from seth and seth's kind of uncomfortable about it um Mm -hmm. and then seth is placed in ryan's shoes as the as the sort of object of female affection and attention um i didn't think ben mckenzie did an excellent job at it but i didn't think he did a bad job and he was on screen for an awful lot of time i thought his tray scenes were pretty good i thought he took a punch like a champ like always and then gave one back I don't know. I thought he was good. I, I expected not to like him as much as I did. Okay. Yeah. I now that you're mentioning it, there is like uh, some glimpses of like personality when he bef- when he's like giving Seth shit about the cologne and but um did not make my tier list. I'm not I'm not mad. I'm not mad that he's on yours. Um, he's on a but, soft five. Yeah. Five is sort of a wild card. You can't be mad about a five. No. Never. Never that. Um. So at my five. I I teased it at the beginning of our episode. I put her on there. I thought she deserved it this episode. Rachel, crack in the top five. Hopefully not the last time. I I have a sneaking suspicion it will be. Listeners, I want to I want to underline and impress how important this moment is meta wise. This is a C tier character making it onto the tier list, and I think actually. Deservedly. I think if there, there's not a lot of reason for me to keep her off the tier list. I, I have my own my own metrics, my own number crunching, but I actually think she's a good ad because sort of a soft list this week, wide open field, and she was really, really funny in all our scenes. Yeah. So that that's just it. Like it's not that you know, if she she does she does get a fair amount of screen time, you know, compared to if you're cause everybody in that, you know, Marissa and Ryan aside I would say they all get not equal, but, you know, like pretty close enough. Uh, Seth obviously gets the most, but close to equal screen time. And she really sticks out to me. I love the Jimmy and uh, 
Julie are arguing while watching football and then they just cuts over to Rachel and she's like, oh, third and long, big play. And <laughs> Julie just gives her the stare like, what the fuck? <laughs> I love that. I, and I, like I said it before, but I really like that the relationship with Sandy is not cursed. That feels fresh that they didn't like make, they didn't blow that out of proportion. They didn't salt the earth. You, and, and honestly, even if they had like, you know, like made it a bigger deal, it wouldn't have been blowing out of proportion. But you know, they addressed it. They, they one could argue that they kind of skimmed by it. I think it's just like, OK, like let's let's not make this another thing that we, you know, like a big drama thing that we have to deal with. It's almost relieving. I, 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 I agree. It was nice. Who do you got it for? I have Kirsten. Uh, I believe this is a she's holding her spot from last week. Uh, she also, uh, plays the goat, not like, not the G-O-A-T, the greatest of all time. She plays the actual stage play style goat in this episode where she's harried and dragged around and caused all sorts of problems. And then she winds up drunk, but uh, it's sort of a, it's sort of a weird place for her to be in because she's usually very in control of her scenes. She's powerful woman played as such. But she can't cook, and she gets drunk, and I kind of think that's funny. I, I thought it was I thought it was nice how they gave Kelly Rowan the the week off and allowed her to sort of act mischievous. <laughs> I like that too. I mean, the fresh Margs line. I, I did my best to do. I did my best, <laughs> Kelly Rowan, at the top of the show, but that always makes me laugh. I just think that's so funny. Just delivered Margs. so oh. like <laughs> haphazardly. It was so good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like first glimpse of drunk Kirsten. Love that. Uh, character flaw. You know, it's going to come up again. It will. But, um, you know, she's not perfect. None of us are. Uh, I had her at two. Um, mm. But yeah, just she brings a good energy. I like there's a there's a moment right before Julie and Caleb show up where uh, Kirsten and Sandy are in the kitchen and they're they're looking at like um, their handiwork with, you know, Julie and, or not Julie, um, Rachel and Jimmy are starting to hit it off watching the game. And then they look over and see their son, Seth. They're really taken with Anna. That was the other thing that, you know, they absolutely loved Anna. You know, Seth is, you know, has invited this girl over to Thanksgiving. And so they're, you know, enjoying the, the you know, these two couples in their home on the holiday. And then, of course, the doorbell rings. And uh, it's, as Sandy says, the gruesome twosome arrive. <laughs> but I just, I like that moment. That's not like great shit by her uh, necessarily, but it's a, it's a nice moment that I wanted to shout out. Totally. Um, who's your four? So four I had at, I had Anna. Um, she, Whoa. Yeah. Did she make your tier list? Oh, yeah. Okay, so I'll just I'll go. I don't have a ton. Um, I just I like the she makes like an awesome first impression with the Coens. You know, Sandy does the she uses the word anathema, and Sandy's just like, you know, it's the greatest thing he's ever heard in his entire life. <laughs> his <laughs> mind is melted. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, she like that. That is like about as good of a first impression you can make with parents. So I had to give her a nod for that. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I don't know. There's what did, what did you have for Anna? I guess if you put her higher, I'd like to hear your thoughts. I'll, I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it, though that's revealing okay. in and of itself. Uh, let, Interesting. Let's let's move on for now, if you're ready, to, to number three. Yep, I'll, I'll, do, I'll go. Uh, so I had Seth at three. Um, Me too. Okay. I really like he when he starts coming around to Anna, you know, when she, he's like giving her a hard time about the weird ingredients she brought, which I'm assuming to make some type of like, you know, sweet potato casserole with marshmallows and cornflakes. And she's like, all you'll be eating are your words. And he kind of he has that like, 
grin on his face that's it's not like smug but it's like uh you know he's he's like oh she can you know it's she can anti-smug too. right it's it's like yeah she can it get, is. she it's can endearing. deal mm-hmm. um i like that i like the the he gives sandy like the best dead-eyed stare when he's like when he's doing the whole anathema thing he's like mouthing it and like he's like happy he's like proud he like somehow you know or sandy is he's like proud that seth has brought in a person into the home who can use vocabulary like that and seth is just like dead like shut get over up. it yeah, <laughs> yeah so really i like good. that shit um he he has some clunkers uh, as well um i don't know when he like the the multiple times he's falls on the ground and like is like has trouble getting his sweater off and then he's like sweet potato you know he's like i can't remember why he says this but sweet potatoes are not as sweet as they used to be i mean he's 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 not. It's not a perfect uh, episode by him. Um, it's by a any matter means, of volume. Brody is is asked. Yeah, it's, upon. It's, a, it's heavy Brody yes. this episode. He he's asked to do about one third of all of the dialogue, and you know the whole gag with the reoccurring like meal components sucks. It's a bad gag, and he, he's <laughs> him just like listing different types of vegetables yes. as reasons to get out of a room. Yeah, it's not good. It's not the strong point of the episode. But most of the stuff, even that like sweet potatoes, they aren't as sweet as they used to be. It makes me think that they're like, whoa, my sweet potatoes are burning was the line. It was supposed to be the line. Mm. And Brody like get stretches it as far as he can. He had to jazz it up. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. It's not good. But I think Seth, comfortable three, a strong three. For this episode he's i feel like he's three on my list every single episode i might be wrong but he's he's right in the middle every time i think it, it could stay that way for a long time <laughs> uh two we already know yours sir yes who's yours uh mine's sandford oh okay. sandy knocked off the top spot after a long stay at number one uh he's been vulnerable the last few weeks less and less screen time fewer and fewer jabs a backseat to the children really like amping up the the weight carrying and this week as soon as anna showed up again you know i feel like that because now there's like actual shit for the kids to at least seth summer and anna um but yeah i good call by you i i have sandy at one i Kind of just like, like I said, like absentmindedly just filled his name in. Uh, now that I'm thinking about it, he really isn't on screen that much. He does have some good lines, but he's always you know, good lines. Gallagher is a god, yeah. and and when they write him, uh, even his like staring blankly when Summer goes, "Ew," I mean, yeah, no, you're you're attractive for a dad, distinguished. He's just like, he just like keeps looking at her. It's pretty funny. Uh, but I thought so, uh, his. His like uh, moment with Seth, where he's trying to help his son figure out which of these two women uh, mm. he should go with. I actually didn't like it that much. That's where I, oh. that's where I'm at. Like I'm to the point where I have to like point out when Gallagher doesn't sell me on it, and uh, that was that was a a weak spot in his armor. And I okay, I had to drag him off the top spot. I feel good about it too. Anything in particular that you had in it? Like, you think it should have been better, or you just think, it, like, it wasn't yeah. good enough? Uh, no, I, I just think it should have been better. I think it could have been better. We've had some real heartfelt, tender moments 
between Seth and Sandy, between Ryan and Sandy. Sandy can do the dad thing, but he just seems like a little buffoonish, a little like uh, baffled. And I, I don't think Gallagher plays that well. It doesn't suit him. Interesting. All right. Well, I love to baste. You know that. That line killed me. Uh, <laughs> that that was part of the reason I threw him up there. That was early on in the episode. Um, so let's just hear it. Who, who's at your one spot? I think Anna. All right. Here's why. She is given a she's given a poor lot in this episode. She is confined to Seth's bedroom and has to play a part because she's a fairly strong, independent female character. Uh, she's sort of asked to do the opposite of that in this episode. She has some really awesomely weird lines. You already you already said the only thing you'll be eating is your words. I was like, nice. That was good. Uh, the Athema line, also very good. She goes, I am beating Captain Oates at Jenga. <laughs> I don't know why, but I thought that was, that's just really funny. I, and she, I also love like Seth tries to do the thing where he like gives her the slip in his room and she's like, you didn't bring me in here to talk about Captain Oates and then just plants yeah. one on him. And I'm like, Anna, you are again. what we need. In this show, yeah, I like that, and also it hasn't been brought up yet. But the uh, the Anna Sandy tag team on Caleb, Ooh. that moment where she she stops him, Anna stops Caleb, and is like, you know, let's talk about the heights. The only th- the thing that makes that even juicier, and I, I I'm glad you brought this up because I really want to talk about it. She does it to save Kirsten, a woman she met nine minutes ago. She can tell yeah. that Caleb is going to pursue her and cause her stress. And so she slides in and just, boom, gives him a roundhouse. Hey, you environment-destroying monster. I loved it. <laughs> and it's not it's, it's not even awkward because Sandy's right there to be like, yeah, she's right. And not only that, but, like, I'm, I'm actually, you know, I, I'm, I'm the leader of this movement. And we have others behind us. We are many. <laughs> Uh yeah, I like I like the two of them more. The more San, Sandy and Anna on screen, I could I would watch the Sandy and Anna show. Mm. Are you listening, Fox? I don't. <laughs> I don't. I'm not sure that we're gonna have a if they share the screen much more uh, going forward. But yeah, for the brief brief amount of time that they do, uh, very very good shit. And then you, of course, had Sanford at number one. So in. To to retrospect, I had Ryan, Kirsten, Seth, Sandy, Anna. I think this the most surprising thing is Ryan at five for me. Not I, I think you made some good points, but I just I would I would his name never uh, never crossed my mind when I was thinking about this. I actually I could now that I'm thinking about this, I I, I might have been able to squeeze in Julie here somewhere, but I'm not entirely sure where because I don't know. The order could change for me, but I don't know if the actual characters could. But anyway, I had Rachel five, Anna, Seth, Kirsten, Sandy. I'm I'm tickled. I'm I'm positively tickled about that Rachel on the top five. Rachel at five. Yeah, we're gonna. Need, she's gonna she's need her own. She's got the Jimmy Cooper spot on the pie chart. <laughs> Tiny little sliver yeah, of not, Rachel. Um, who knows? Yeah, Maybe Jimmy she'll take Cooper things is over. the mainstay at my at my five spot, but Rachel is overtaking him. Yeah, Jimmy's feeling real bad after this episode. First, he gets the slammer dropped on him, and now he's not even on Steve's tier list. <laughs> bad day to be Jimmy. Uh, great episode again. Uh, um, we're we're in the we're in the golden years of OC Hell right yeah. now. 
This is peak peak OC season one. Yes. Um, what's your what's your cliffhanger? What are you excited about for next week? Well, we talked about it. We just mentioned them. I really cannot wait for the Jimmy and Rachel watch a football game episode. <laughs> uh, just a bottle episode of the two of them watching a game, getting to know each other, awkwardly cheering for their respective teams. That will be good. Watching ESPN classics. Yeah, it's so soothing. I love when they say soothing at the same moment. It's so nice. What about you? Uh, what are you uh, waiting for? Well, we all know we are expecting the the Thanksgiving episode. I'm excited for the day after Thanksgiving episode. An equally popular trope in oh. in uh, episodic TV. Uh, leftovers. Black Friday. <laughs> yeah. The Black shopping, Friday episode. Shopping. Summer will be involved. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be pretty good stuff. Um, my favorite all-time day after Thanksgiving episode was Cheers, uh, but I think this one will give it a run for its money. On that note, happy Thanksgiving. And to you, and to you listeners, uh, enjoy time with your families, and until then, take it till you make it. <laughs>